welcome to episode 87 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that does anything other than believe women, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott, and I'm joined by the one who shelters all, Mandy Stevens. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. Excellent. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Hey everyone, so I'm Amanda Stevens. I am a professional diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, which basically means I get paid to tell predominantly white people to not be racist, homophobic, (laughs) or transphobic. When I'm not doing that, which tends to not be very often, I uh, like to play a silly little card game called Magic the Gathering. I used to be a Magic the Gathering content creator way, 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 way back in the before times. Now I am just a former level one judge who plays a lot of Commander. And that's really it. Oh, I guess I also do this thing where I help create charity events for Trans Mm. Lifeline. If Trans Lifeline sounds familiar, it's probably because you saw uh, either charity fundraising done by Mental Misplay or you've seen... The amazing work Brian, the professor of Tolarian Community College, and I have done in the past year with the three different giveaways we've done. For sure, yeah. And they were hugely successful as well. Uh, we were just shy of half a million dollars USD. That's incredible. Yeah. Between the three different fundraisers we did being 500k USD. So. Jeez. Yeah, no, no, no big deal. Small stuff. <laughs> Everyone has half a million. Like, let's, let's be honest here. Yeah, casually, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. casually, right? Like, you know, I could just pull it out right now. Well, that makes one of us. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, I'm kind of surprised that we have not managed to get a game of Commander in together. It's because you live across the Atlantic. Oh, yes. What is that card? It divides people, like, east and west, and you can only interact with players. uh... Oh, like Raging River? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there we go. So I'm east of the Atlantic, and you're west of the Atlantic, and so you're just not a interactable game object for me. It's, it's unfortunate. Oh, my heart, I'm hurt. <laughs> Man, if, the, if any of you have ever seen me do stuff with like Spice 8 Rack or the Spike Feeders, you'll know that I somehow find ways to work in magic metaphors constantly, and... Um, <laughs> I might not be on my A game. I'm a little tired this this uh this recording, but they'll come hot and fast if, when I think of them. Good stuff. Well, while you are warming up, I'll give a quick little update on myself for this week. I personally, I'm super energized. I, I might be a little bit uh, the opposite to you right now because I'm extremely extroverted, and the last two days I've had uh, two very significant in-person social interactions, which is a first for the pandemic, I guess, for me. I went to a bar for my friend's 30th birthday and I played the first session of a campaign with the new D&D group in person. I haven't done that since before the pandemic. Nerd. Just complete and absolute nerd. Oh, yeah. I I, I take that as a compliment. Thank you. As if it didn't sound like I was enough of a nerd already. Outside of that, I have just been playing Elden Ring nonstop. You know, so... Yeah, I'm nearly 90 hours into it, and I don't think I'm even halfway through. I'm, I'm a- I have to ask, because, like, this, this is the way almost every Elden Ring conversation goes for me. If someone goes, oh, oh man, you know, I've been playing Elden Ring, I've got blank hours clocked in. Is this, mm-hmm. like, is this, like, a personality trait? Is this, like, white people and cheese, where, like, 
<laughs> when you bring up the fact of the foods that you like, you're like, oh my god, I must, I, like, oh, jeez, it's like my favorite food. And it's, with Elden Ring players, it's like, not only do you have to let me know that you play Elden Ring, you have to let me know that you've been, like, essentially no-lifing it at the same time. Because no one I've um, ever spoken to who has, like, played Elden Ring has been like, oh man, yeah, I only got, like, ten hours in. It's like, yo, I've been playing Elden Ring and, uh, insert large percentage of hours in a week <laughs> as my amount of gameplay. Is this, is this I, like, a requirement, like, on, like, when you download Elden Ring on Steam, whatever console you have it on, does it say, like, must track progression by hours I've sunk into the game? So, I have absolutely no defense to this. <laughs> <laughs> Whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, I will have you know, though, that I have over 300 hours in eating cheese as well. Just just FYI. Like I said, white people, it's an identity. And I guess it's an identity across the Atlantic, too. Like, it's a personality trait. Now, to be fair, Ireland is known for having good cheese. Like, we've got good cheddar. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> moving on from cheese. Uh, one other thing I have to cover is I have an article this week out about Forever Decks in Commander. So decks that you would want to keep together for a long period of time or possibly forever, as the name suggests. Um, so I talked to a couple of different friends and playgroups and content creators and stuff, and they give their insights on why they have a forever deck, like what it means to them. So that's going to be out in Card Kingdom. You can check that out after the show if you like. Ooh. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BMcast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMcast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. All right, so, uh, Mandy, have you got a card of the week for us as our guest? I'm going to cheat because I always like breaking the rules. Uh, I have Mm. two cards of the week, uh, and especially for all of you budget commander players. It is March of Swirling Mist and March of Wretched Sorrow. Uh, They're both clocking in about uh, 50 cents uh, USD. Mm. I was a big fan of the Shoal cycle from the original Kamigawa set, uh, especially Disrupting Soul. Uh, As a commander player, you usually will have a four drop or a three drop which is like peak removal spell slot Mm. in your hand if you're a blue player just because like there's a lot of really good four and three drop cards just across all the colors in magic so being able to just be like oh man everyone thinks my shields is down i've already casted force of will or i've already used foil and then they're like this is the time to get you and you're like disrupting troll pitch card or even (laughs) like if i have an overabundance of mana like disrupting tool yeah it's like the gotcha that like people don't expect and it's been my gotcha since i started playing commander in like 2011 mm. and even today i'll like cast disruptor like people expect a force negation they'll expect a fierce guardianship but uh they yeah. never expect the disrupting troll 
And so uh, Gavin Verhey, you know, has a really, uh, mm-hmm. I find his TikTok very interesting because he'll, it's very, like, concise yeah. magic snippets for him. And so I wasn't surprised that the March cycle is supposed to be the spiritual successor of the Shoal cycle, you know, balance for modern magic. Because as we know, the Shoals are, 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 have been a bit of a problem in modern sometimes, right? Like, Blazing Shoal uh, yeah. kind of ruined modern at the very beginning. <laughs> uh, Nourishing Shoal does uh, some nonsense. Yeah. There isn't a time where, like, the Shoals weren't prevalent in modern at some snap point. Doesn't necessarily, I'm not going to say all of them, but I believe at least green, blue, and red have all seen some form of competitive play in modern, and I wasn't playing standard or any other format Mm. when they were legal, so no idea. Uh, But I really like these new shoals. So March of Swirling Mist is uh, an instant X and a blue. Mm. As an additional cost to cast the spell, you may exile any number of blue spells from your hand. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. And it says, up to X target creatures phase out. Yeah. I play a lot of creature-based decks, or I play uh, some mm, spell-slingery Voltron-esque decks where I only need one or two creatures really to like be on the board for the deck to do what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having this as a, essentially Teferi's protection can be really powerful. It's a good political bargaining chip I found already where it's like, Hey, he's about to board wipe. What can you give me if I uh, if I save your commander there? Oh, because it doesn't say target creatures you control. It just says yeah. target creatures. I really like cards like this that give you the avenue to either just like blow out your opponents, right, by being like, oh, you thought you were board wiping. I'm saving the the three or four best creatures. I think it's just a really fun card. I think mm. it should be an auto include for blue X decks because. As long as you're not against, like, tokens or some, like, super go-wide deck, there's always a moment where March of Swirling Mist is going to probably save you from Mm -hmm. attackers, right? It's essentially a fog. And in the other side of the spectrum, if you're playing any sort of blue uh, Voltron deck, Enchantress, combat deck, even if you're playing some type of Izzet Storm deck, you probably need one or two of your creatures to survive. Yeah, for sure. Still very good. And as for March of Wretched Sorrow, again, it's going to be X and a black, another instant. Same text as an additional cost to cast a spell. You may exile any number of black cards from your hand. This spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. March of Wretched Sorrow deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. Again, really great pretty decent removal spell right black has become sort of the premier planeswalker answer color uh which is yeah. i'm a big fan of and i also like uh gaining life i think we sometimes meme on life gain a little too hard in commander where we're like oh man it's like so. game yeah. it's not gonna win you a game but like i just like these i like these cards i i'm not a big fan of the other three to be honest but at least these two i think are pretty great um I can see you not wanting to run March of Sorrow if you're like, no, I just need to know that I'm killing the thing that I'm killing. Um, I completely understand if you're like, no, I need my creature removal to say destroy or exile. None of this damage nonsense. Again, I think people don't consider just like how good surprise life gain is because a lot of people, when they're trying to go for their big kill, again, as long as they're not doing some super go wide, you know, 
uh, hour of devastation? Is that the green one where you like finale of devastation? Yeah, finale of devastation or like crater hoof, right? Like, yes, in those situations, you are probably dead. Like your your march of wretched char- sorrows is probably not saving you. But You're probably dead lo- no matter what you have, really. Right, but like yeah. in in those like those situations. No corner cases. I know magic players, we love talking about the corner case rule interaction <laughs> and the corner case, well, you know, what if we what if I do this in this very specific situation? I don't care. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And they're fifty cents. Probably like I guess a dollar for, for you for you across the ponders. I think they're actually that would be cheaper. Less than that. Cheaper, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Money goes in the opposite direction. So you're <laughs> you're probably looking at like twenty cents. There right? Like Yep. Especially the blue one, I think, if you're not playing it in your blue decks, give it a try, slot out some other removal spell. Yeah. I will say, I have it in my Octavia deck, and Ooh. I've been able to use it so far to save Octavia from a board wipe, and also mm-hmm. clear out a bunch of blockers while also making one of my little creatures into an 8-8 itself from Octavia's ability. See? Yep. Good cards, good choice. Well, you told me what the, the budget should be, and I was like, yo... There's a lot of bulk rares in Neon Dynasty that people should play. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's also one where, like, even if you, like, are listening to this podcast, like, a year in the future, six months in the future, there's very little chance March of Swirling Mist is going to, like, shoot up in price. I wanted to pick somewhat evergreen cards where it's, like, the ch- like realistically, unless this is in some, like, deck that takes off in a format... I don't see March of Swirling Mist or March of Wretched Sorrow being more than a dollar a yeah. year from now. If it's more than a dollar, I will I will like send Scott one of my random judge coils <laughs> six months uh, from now. There will be no need for that. So, you know, you say that it's not necessary for me to send you some judge foils, but uh, I'm going to put some former judge knowledge onto the table, combine some DI oh. experience, some, some judge knowledge... Uh, we've been having some uh, unsporting conduct, at least minor, going on in the uh, magic community of late. Yeah. We were talking before, uh, when we were trying to figure out what I would do when I eventually came on the show, uh, we were talking about, like, Seb McKinnon, and mm. then we had some uh, stuff of Mr. Michael David Lynch yes. happen. I also want to be very, very clear. For those of you who do not know, unlike a show like Kingdoms, like... Game Nights. I Hate Your Deck is essentially just Michael David Lynch. He does, from everything I've, I've heard from outside mm-hmm. sources, he is the creative director. He is the uh, director of production. He is the editor. Uh, and he is the only host, like, as far as, like, consistent physical presence yeah. on the show. So the reason why I don't want to say Michael David Lynch and I Hate Your Deck is because since he's essentially just the person who runs the show Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't want people to sort of make the mistake of like associating things that we're going to talk about with people who have been on the show right yes yeah absolutely it's not like things that we're going to talk about today are a reflection of like something that happened on an i hate your deck episode um Mm -hmm. and they're not a reflection of the myriad of guests that have been on the show so where do you want to start um, well, I suppose it's it's up to you if you would like to go forward or backwards in time here. It is uh, is completely up to yourself. So I, I guess for me, it's really interesting to to look at what happened 
with Michael David Lynch recently, uh, mm-hmm. and yep. then sort of zoom back and look at uh, his response to um, everything that was going on with Seb when Seb came out as like being an adamant defender of the Freedom Truck Rally, Freedom Truck Convoy in Canada. So what I had thought was super duper interesting when everybody was kind of having their discourse, I thought it was very interesting that Mr. Lynch, who had not really made any political statements either from the I Hate Your Deck Twitter or his own Mm -hmm. over the course of however long he's been a face in the community, chose this moment to be like, you know, everyone's allowed to have their opinion and, you know, everybody can be educated and I, I'm i offering to you right now to, you know, be the person you can talk to to, like, understand why your actions have been hurtful and hopefully, like, come to a meeting of the minds. Yeah, so just very quickly to clarify for anybody that isn't up on this just yet... What happened was at the time, we all know about, we've explained before about the Seb McKinnon situation, but with Michael David Lynch in relation to this, uh, what was it? He popped onto Seb's Twitter and was talking about, like, looking to have a conversation and talk about this to try and convince him otherwise. And it's really funny because this is why I I think it's really important to, like, notice repeatable behavior. Mm Mm-hmm. He was all about, let's get on a stream. Let's, you know, do, let's do something together. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he got enough backlash about don't give this guy a platform, like, if you're going to do this, it doesn't have to be a stream. Because that was the big thing I was saying. It was like, why do you have to make this a stream? Why does this, like, why are you platforming somebody if you just want to have a meeting of the minds and then try to explain to him, like, why he's causing real harm? And he was like, oh, no, 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 this is going to be a private conversation. And it's like, there's yeah. literal tweets where you're like, let's get together and do, like, a podcast. Like, mm-hmm. let's do a stream. And even if you, and this is one of the things that I, I, why I found, like, Seb to also be fairly disingenuous. And his, oh, I'm, I'm just trying to learn here, is if you look yeah. at a lot of some of Seb's tweets, he really only replied to people with large platforms. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his replies, he was like, we, like, let's do a stream yeah real real interesting right but also like i said it's real interesting that michael david lynch is very quick to change what he said he was saying when people get a bit riled up right and we saw that with him responding to some of the ways that he was defending himself for the uh sexual harassment claims that have been lodged against him right at first it was oh that's not what happened then it was a whole bunch of real normal tweets about her being promiscuous and she's just upset because her her and her partner had broken up and she's got mental health issues and it was attempts to discredit her yeah i don't think it's a great excuse but it's like totally fine to be like hey i didn't do this and like it's very suspect that she's bringing this up years from the incident whatever you want to say it's another thing to just start slandering a person and then it's real funny that he just started deleting those tweets when a bunch of people like hold on man Again, just for clarity on this, this is a this is a more recent development with Michael David Lynch. Uh, you'll see it on Twitter. I've retweeted the statement from the actress. Uh, it was essentially that there was a movie that they had shot together, and it, this was back in 2013, 2014, I believe. Yeah. And 
Uh, at the time, he said that he was going to shoot a nude scene and a non-nude version of it uh, in case they, they were going to put those together. But basically, he pressured her into shooting the nude scene and going with that. And things just got worse from there. Um, yeah. There was, there was withholding of, of awards and, and emotional manipulation. It was all sorts of stuff. And... Yeah, and what I want to be very clear about, uh, because I've seen some uh, pretty, pretty fantastic takes about uh, how people feel about the timing of Mr. Lynch uh, being called out. Uh, there's some Reddit threads about, oh man, isn't it interesting that she's not the one that went to BuzzFeed and Joe Johnson's no longer on on I Hate Your Deck. Y'all, you're, you're, like, missing the forest for the trees. Sometimes bad things happen to allegedly bad people. As the actress said in her video, the material that was in the BuzzFeed article uh, was stuff from an interview from a while ago that never mm -hmm. went anywhere, right? A lot of people kind of read into that of, like, oh, so somebody must have told BuzzFeed to, like, do this article well it's very clear that this article includes more than one actress yeah and maybe this person was like oh man you know i've had all of these interviews i've been sitting on and i've got this other interview and mm -hmm. it's a it's a pretty good time to you know put all of this together one of the things that some of you have been missing is that it no one had to go to this journalist to do the thing right no one had to go to the buzzfeed writer to tell him I'm going to take down this person and have my little mm. magic feud. Like, come on, folks. Yeah. Why can't we just believe women? Like, why why do we care how this information came out? Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's detracting from and distracting from the actual issue. It's not what's important. Yeah, and even though uh, I don't want to... I didn't want this part to take up too much space, I think it's really important to address... For those of you who don't know how article writing goes, it's not just a thing you sit down and do in like yeah. a week. Sometimes it's a, a long process of notes. But yeah. uh, something that I've been seeing a lot from the discourse about Seb mm -hmm. and Michael David Lentz is the fact of people being disillusioned by celebrities or personalities in the community, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of people sort of attach... I don't want to say self-worth, but sort of uh, feeling not so great about the fact that they liked a person who turned out to be a terrible person. Yeah. Or, you know, feeling a certain way about, well, okay, you know, first first came Seb or Owen or someone, and now, you know, it just seems like everybody I like is uh, a bad person. All your right? faves are problematic. Yeah. All your faves are problematic. <laughs> and so I want to remind you something. With the, with the relative exception of of Seb McKinnon, you like people in the magic community probably because they're relatively good at magic. Being good at magic isn't a personality trait or really, like, a, a thing that, like, should be held to, like, a very high esteem. Yeah. Just like, you know, I'm super into Tony Jaa action films. You know, The Protector, Ong Bak Tai Warrior... He was even in the Monster Hunter movie, and that's probably the only good thing I can say about the Monster Hunter movie... <laughs> But, like, if it came out that that Tony Jaa was, like, a sex offender, I mean, I'd be sad because, I, like, I like his action films and I'm probably never going to watch another one. Mm. And if I do, it'll be pirated because I don't want to support him financially. But it's, like, not devastating to me. 
And yeah. this is a topic that I bring up sometimes when I end up on podcasts. Is I, I talk about parasocial relationships a lot. Mm. Yeah. And I think this is another moment where we can kind of have to take a step back and realize that sometimes we, because we, you know, yep. you see him every two weeks on YouTube, you see his tweets, you see him interacting with other magic people that you like, and you piece together this version of Michael David Lynch that you like based on, you know, what he says during the show and how he interacts on Twitter. It's, it's Michael David Lynch as edited by Michael David Lynch. Yeah, you're not you're not a fan of Michael David Lynch. You're, you're a fan of who Michael David Lynch wants you to be a fan of. And, like, I'm not a super great person. I have my really shitty moments, too. I mean, not sexual harassment or assault level, but, like, I'm sometimes I'm an asshole to my friends. Sometimes I'm not a reliable friend. You would never know that from my Twitter, right? Like, I talk about trans shit, and I post really cute selfies, and occasionally I talk about magic or Final Fantasy fourteen. But like what you're seeing about me on social media is like super highly curated, which is why when people try to come from like Twitter to my Facebook, I'm like, no, 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 no. Facebook is for people who actually get to know me. Mm-hmm. You belong on the side of the Internet where you get to interact with the curated version of myself. Yeah, nobody's entitled to the the personal side. You put out what you want people to see, whether yeah. you are a big name or face or a small individual. It doesn't matter. You get to curate what that is. The the distance yeah. there there is a a set line that everybody has. That and I just wanted to be really yeah. important. I think it's really really important for us to realize that like, even if it's Olivia, Gavin Verhey, um, you know Shivam, right? Like these are humans that you do not know. You yeah. don't. You know a version of them. You know, some talk more about their personal lives than others, but you don't know them. And so yeah. I want you to to take a second. There is nothing wrong with having a moment in life where there was somebody who's, who what they brought into your life was meaningful and great at the time. But it is not a reflection of yourself that you liked a person that turned out to be problematic. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not your fault that J.K. Rowling turned out to be a turf. It's, you know, not your fault to find out that Josh Whedon was a serial misogynist, right? These mm-hmm. are not your fault. And I know in the context of you wanting to be a good person, you're like, oh no, like, how am I a good person if I supported this person? No one knew. Yeah. That's it. Right? Like, at, at the time of me reading Harry Potter as a child, I wasn't like, man, these books are great, but J.K. Rowling thinks my existence is problematic and harmful to women. Man, these books are great. Yeah. No. I was like, man, these books are great. Getting a little bit long here. Someone really needs to come in as an editor. But, man, these books are great. Mm-hmm. Do I buy... Am I going to go see the Dumbledore movie? No. Am I... Have I bought official Harry Potter merch? No. I'm not out here being like, man, I, I'm going to keep supporting J.K. Rowling. I'm like, all right. I still like Harry Potter. I'm not going to like cut my Hufflepuff patches off of all of my stuff. Mm-hmm. But I can recognize that there's a difference between the, the youth who liked Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling and the adult who like found out that she's like a pretty incredibly awful human being. Yeah. As, as most multi-billionaires are. Um, yeah, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Eat the rich. So again... 
even though, because I don't really want to talk about Michael, and I really don't want to talk about Seb. I wanted to address this from this from the from the outside lens of like how we internalize what happens. Yeah. When we have these experiences, when we find out somebody's not who we thought they were. Yeah. Because that is a big narrative that I've seen on Twitter, especially from a lot of women and femmes who are like, you know, man, this sucks that like I liked a guy who was not a good person, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And so I don't want you to internalize that. Just like, you know, you shouldn't hold all Simic players accountable for the <laughs> sins of Oko and Uro. You know, I'm not the problem here as a Simic player. Watsi's the problem for putting every busted card in a set in my color wheel. Y'all need to recognize that Simic players, we are, we are just, you know... Innocent bystanders of the power <laughs> the pirate of the power creep. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I gotta I gotta always bring it back to uh the, the pro Semic propaganda. Um and also make it a little bit lighthearted, right? Like I don't want this yeah. to just oh, be absolutely. Like, a absolutely. downer of an episode. There is actually something, uh, Mandy, that I want to ask you about, and that is how do you go about sort of replacing that sort of void that comes into your life when you find out that something big, like, say, Harry Potter or something like that, that turns out that it's problematic and you don't want to support it or engage with it anymore, but you feel like there's something missing? Like, what do you, what do, you do to sort of replace that? Sure. So, personally for myself, you know, um, and... I'll give y'all a peep into my my Facebook side of my life, my actual real life. Um, I have been very vocal uh, in my personal circles that you're not going to guilt me into like hating Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter was really important to me as a child. Mm-hmm. One of my few fond memories of my of like my interactions with my mom was. Once she realized that I liked Harry Potter, because she used to, my mother, uh, Miss Stevens, was very into us reading. And so whenever we went on vacation, it didn't matter that we had a Game Boy or a, or a Game Gear or, mm-hmm. a, you know, a PSP. You were bringing books. Yeah. And my mom, for one of the trips that we went on, had bought me Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's the first one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, and so I was a little bit of a hipster kid. I like didn't want to watch or read things that everybody was talking about. So I had like yeah. put off Harry Potter. I think I was, I didn't read my first Harry Potter book until like the third book mm-hmm. had come out, and I was engrossed. And my mom, through sorcery and wizardry, always had the new hardcover on my bed the second the book was released. Right. I don't know how, mm-hmm. but I would come home from school. Or, you know, I would come back in the house and on my bed was whatever new Harry Potter book had just come out. Mm-hmm. And I would sit and devour those books and I would talk about it with some of my really good friends. And when I was, like, dealing with stuff, I would just engross myself in these 900-page monsters of a book. Yeah. And so finding out that J.K. Rowling was a turf was really hard for me i mean i by the time jk rowling came out as a turf i had kind of gotten used as a trans person in finding out that people that i liked in my childhood are are, are problematic shitty individuals yeah um i kind of got used to that like i i still like harry potter i still you know what white people identify with cheese i still identify <laughs> as, as a hufflepuff all right but in some cases, you know, I just kind of have to sort of think about, okay, well, like, what what was that giving me in my life? 
Mm. Um, Harry Potter at this point doesn't really give me a whole bunch of community, right? I'm not like a high schooler or, you know, somebody in college who like you use Hufflepuff or something uh, as a way to like meet other people. Like you put in your bio or something so you have like opportunities to find friends. Mm-hmm. If you were really into, like, Seb art, or, you know, you were really into I Hate Your Deck, well, what was it that you liked about I Hate Your Deck? If it was specifically Michael David Lynch, all right, the, we, we might have a problem. We might not be able to find you a new Michael David Lynch. Um, yeah. But, like, if you just liked the flow of the gameplay and you just aren't a fan of Game Nights for whatever reason, mm-hmm. there's Kingdoms, there's Nitpicking Nerds, right? Like, yeah. type in Commander Gameplay into YouTube there's loads. And try yeah. some try some other shows. Mm. I'm I would be surprised if every other show just like isn't up to snuff to what MDL was giving you. And if you can't engage with say magic anymore, right? Like this is just the final straw for you. What is it about magic that was was special to you? Mm. Right? What was it about magic that was great? Was it were you a big Vorthos? There's a lot of wonderful fantasy content out there, right? Just yeah. wonderful, amazing fantasy content. Was it a really cool card collectible card game? Yo, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna be a bit of a of a of a recent simp. The Digimon card game is kind of <laughs> is kind of lit. Like it's it's pretty fun, and okay. it's it's at a point where like you can really get into it without having to clear like a huge financial hurdle. Mm. Um, and especially if you're getting out of Magic, you're probably nuking your collection anyway, so you'll have the money to turn it into another card game. Mm. If it's community, you liked the people at your local game store. I have not met a Magic nerd that doesn't do another firm, form of nerdery. Whether it's Elden yeah, Ring, or D&D, or Settlers of Catan. Mm-hmm. Go to those those friends... And be like, hey, look, magic's just, like, really hard for me to engage with right now. Could we, you know, do something else? Can we turn Commander Night into board game night? Can we turn Commander Night into horror movie hangout? Can we yeah. turn Commander Night into D&D night? Or, uh, you know, Kids on Bikes night? Or the Power Rangers tabletop game? Right? Yeah. Like, there's so many things that, like, the, the best suggestion that I have... Uh, and I guess this comes a little bit from, you know, doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, is that one of the things I was taught to do as someone who does these trainings mm-hmm. is to take a step back from a situation and figure out, like, what is going on there. So, for example, uh, how many of us have ever worked in retail and the customers come in and they're just, like, furious at you and they're just, like, very loud? Mm-hmm. Um, what we're taught about that and sort of uh, about rising actions is to take a step back in those heated moments and try to figure out what's going on with that person. Because very rarely are people just assholes because they're just full-stop assholes, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes someone is yelling at you because they stubbed their toe or they almost got into a car accident. And so Mm -hmm. you are just the person who just happens to be in front of them while they're dealing with these emotions. And so what you need to be capable of doing is to take a step back in that moment, even if you think you're feeling a little bit harmed, and go, this person, this is this is probably not about me. This person is not agitated at me because of this. Mm-hmm. And be able to engage in that situation. But in the sense of like what you're asking, Scott, about like how do I how do I fill that void, you gotta take a moment in that hurt, 
to be like, what is it about this thing that I, I, I feel I've lost mm. that brought me that happiness, that brought me that joy, that brought me that fulfillment? If you really think about it, you probably know that answer. If it's community, talk to your community. Find another thing to do with your yeah. community. It's really just about analyzing what brings you joy and how can that joy still be a part of your life. Yeah. In some yeah. new transmutated way. You know, we're just, we're just <laughs> mutating it. God, I'm fucking awful. Oh, uh, no. Ignore let's me. not talk about the... Let's not... <laughs> it, references to mutate mechanic are, are hereby banned. It's too confusing. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> There is one actual little thing that I wanted to touch back on. Now, this is going sure. back a good bit. But uh, one other little thing I would like to cover, and it's it sort of linked to this as well, is that like how to handle changing of opinions or changing of your own mind in situations. And an example on this is that all the way back when we were talking earlier about Michael David Lynch and talking to Seth McKinnon and everything, you had mentioned it to me in, in DMs and stuff. You were you were pointing it out to me about Michael David Lynch and, and the interaction with Seb and how it was... Like, it, it was unusual. And yeah. I thought, based on the optics of it, like, how it looked, like, this is the curated thing that he threw out on Twitter, uh-huh. um, of, look, look I want to talk about this and I want to try and do the right thing and, you know, make the situation better or and, like, talk about it and hash it out and we can do it live on stream so that, like, other people can see the good or the change or whatever and i saw that initially as like oh that was that seems pretty reasonable and pretty good and then you hopped on a call with me and we had a chat and you had explained to me about how ultimately what it's doing is it's platforming the the person with the damaging thoughts and opinions that it it can cause more harm than good and i Mm -hmm. hadn't looked at it that way and you know, when, once you'd explained it to me, like, it seemed very obvious to me, you know, it's looking at it from a, a different perspective. And being able to just turn around and, like, throw your hands up and be like, you know what, I was wrong. I have a really great way of talking about this, uh, because mm-hmm. it comes up in my work in a different way. Okay. So there's a difference between ha- doing something that is racist or being involved in a racist action and mm-hmm. being racist. So... You know, I'll give a really good self-reflective speech. There was a point uh, where I used a word. Uh, it's not a word that you're probably thinking of, uh, but I, I try not to use harmful language, even when telling stories. Okay. Um, and I, I had a really frustrating night of League of Legends, and I made a Facebook post where I was like, you know, man, just dealt with these fucking straight-up blank. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of left it at that. Like, it was just... You know, I was mad about really bad night of solo queue. Mm-hmm. Made a Facebook status about it. Uh, a friend reached out to me that evening and went, "Hey, um, it kind of really hurt me that you said this word." Okay. My first instinct, because you know this was younger me before I was like fully down the DEI rabbit hole. Like people knew, like mm-hmm. this was when I was a judge and I was doing my creating safer spaces uh, seminars and stuff like that. So right. I was still putting that work in. So that's why this friend came out to me and was like, hey, like it's kind of messed up that you said this. And I originally uh, was about to be like, the fuck are you talking about? It's just, you know, it's a nonsense word. Mm-hmm. And then I went, wait a second, Amanda, what do we know? So I took a step back and I said, hey, um, can you give me a second? And I Googled the word and I was like, oh, this is not just some like word Mm -hmm. that just like doesn't have meaning and i went back to her and i said oh my god um i'm really sorry i did not know that this was like a real slur 
mm-hmm. and I just did not know that this was like harmful language. I mm. just never heard it in that context, and so I said, "Hey, I'm wrong, and mm. what do I need to do about this?" Right? Like, do you want me to delete the status? And she was like, "I would really appreciate if you did that." And I was like, yeah. "Cool." When you get called out, you need to have the ability to realize that you did. You might there's there's a chance that you've done a bad thing, mm-hmm. and you need to take the time to figure out what does that mean. In my case, I wanted to make sure that hey, what what is this word mean? And so I did Google and I read a couple of articles really quickly and went, wow, okay, I'm mm-hmm. like I'm in the wrong here. Um, yeah. And then I apologized. I asked what I could do to mitigate the harm that I had done. And then I took the extra step and kind of made a Facebook status. I was like, hey, guys, I just uh, just want to yeah. say, like, uh, some of you interacted on a status that I had about League of Legends. I used a word that is totally inappropriate. I did not know the harm that it contains. And I'm sorry. Like, it won't happen again. This shows you that even people like me can, like cause harm and sometimes i i don't know everything that's why i spend a lot of time reading articles and watching documentaries and you know going to conferences and listening to other people speak because like i i don't know everything there is to know about marginalized communities so when you've when you've been in that position yourself you can kind of look at the situations that other people are in Mm -hmm. and go hey like this isn't a hard playbook to to go from and yeah, I'm going to say playbook. I know that that kind of makes it sound a bit disingenuous, but like it it's not a hard thing to like if somebody if you have enough people telling you, "Hey, what you're doing is hurting me" mm-hmm. or is harmful, maybe it's worth just taking that like 5 seconds to take a step back and go, "Wow, these there are some people who are really upset with me right now. I don't yes. think I did anything wrong, but maybe I should like turn inward." And just like think about why it's harmful or what what was wrong here yeah right and like in seb's case you could kind of make the argument that he did do that that like he reached out but again like i said optically it's a lot of people he replied to had very large platforms yeah michael david lintz you know he replied to rebecca guai like all of the people he replied to directly who he said, you know, hey, I want to, like, learn here, right? Mm-hmm. They were all people with large platforms, which means that there were all people who, if you don't know how to use Twitter without being influenced by people you don't follow, you would see, Amanda's talking to Seb right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that about, right? Like, you would see, because you see two people with large followings interacting, it's going to end up on your feed if you don't filter your Twitter. And so that's where it could be. Now, how do you put yourself in a position to, to have your opinion changed? One, you have to separate yourself from the base emotion that you did something wrong, Mm. right? That's why when I say, hey, this is racist or, hey, this is transphobic, I'm not saying that you are racist or transphobic. I am saying this action that you are taking right now Mm. is racist or transphobic. And the reason that's really important is that we correctly have internalized that racism is bad, right? That's why a lot of people have hard times acknowledging if they've done something racist is because they go... I don't want to be associated with it. Yeah, well, that. But yeah. So there's kind of this chain thinking, right? So I just got called a racist. Racism is bad. I'm not a bad person. Therefore, what I just did wasn't racist. Yeah, yeah. And so what you need to be able to do is break that chain. Mm-hmm. Someone told me I did something that's racist racism is bad therefore the thing i did is probably bad 
let's at least start to get our brain thinking that we are potentially wrong. How do I figure out if I was actually wrong? Yeah. Right? That is the new chain that you have to create. So in a situation like the conversation I had with Scott, Scott needed to be able to go, huh, Amanda has pointed out this thing to me. This clashes with my perception of reality or the events or the facts. Mm-hmm. How did Mandy come to this conclusion, but I didn't? Yeah. And then you can go the extra step. Well, okay, now that I've looked at it from Mandy's perspective, was I actually in the wrong? Was I actually incorrect in my perception of these things? Would you, what does my other life experiences have shown me about these type of interactions? It's not easy. Uh, one of the things I always tell people is that I've, I've had multiple hours, hours that add up to probably at least a week of trainings on how to think this way. Right? Yeah. That's why I can do the work that I do. And so I'm never going to be like, oh, man, this is easy stuff. You just got just to gotta change the way how you think, man. Just got to yeah. change. It, it is hard. It is hard. and But to some degree, it does get easier. Because yes. I, I will say that like three or four years ago, like if I turned around and said I was wrong, that would have taken a lot of work. But now if I see that I'm wrong, I'll be able to, you know, come to terms with that and accept it much quicker these days. Yeah, I mean, like, because you get you, your brain gets used to thinking a certain way when you're learning a lot about a specific thing, like playing your deck, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of us that fishbowl our decks, uh, meaning that we play solitaire, we play of our deck as though mm-hmm. we're playing against imaginary opponents and seeing how to combo off in certain sequences. The more you do that, the easier it is for you to play your combo under pressure because you've yeah. already done your combo hundreds of times and to actually add to the comparison of interacting with the deck and getting reps in with the deck to the same kind of thing is you know you can look at like say if you're practicing for a tournament you look at cyborg guides you look at uh, youtube playthroughs of a like a magic online league or something you look at other pieces of information and resources in order to get a better understanding of this kind of thing and it applies to kind of everything in life anyway but also what we were talking here about like you know developing and improving as a person to be able to help be the kind of person that is at the center of the community uplifting it rather than doing the opposite of what you might actually think you'd be doing yeah my solitaire my fishbowl reference is just to say that like if it's something that you really want to improve on, just like you want to get better at playing your Thrasios deck, just like you want to get better at playing uh, Grixis Delver, you play it more. If you start putting in that work, if you start reading those articles, seeking that information, being willing to put yourself in what I like to call the yellow zone, a mm-hmm. little bit of discomfort, but not enough that we need to go running and screaming to the hill, mm-hmm. you'll be able to grow as a person and be able to have new ways of responding to information. Um, You know, I talk about this a lot when I give my trainings. I've talked about it on some podcasts. There are three ways that we interact with life. First, there's green. That's our maximum comfort. We're in our favorite chair. We got our favorite snack. We're watching our favorite TV show. Or, you know, we're playing our favorite video game. Everything is great. Green is great for our mental health, bad for learning. When we're in the green, we're not really in a position to learn, right? Because we have everything we want. Why would we ever step a way to to experience more we have everything we want we want to be in the yellow now the yellow is you're starting to run low on your drink your tv show is about to end 
Mm. You're kind of approaching the, uh, a boss fight in your video game. Now you kind of got to square up, right? Do I need to, you know, get into my peak gamer position, you know, the lean <laughs> forward? That's a great place to learn because you don't have all of your needs met, but you have enough of them met. So you're still all right. You're still safe, but it's time to make some decisions. And that's where you need to be when you want to learn. And yep. then there's red. Red is real bad. Red is your chair has broken, you, you fell on your ass, you're out of drink, you have no snacks, and you have just died to the same fucking boss 32 times. I, I just want to beat this boss. Red is bad. How dare you bring up my Elden Ring experience? <laughs> because red, we shut down. Yeah. Right? It's like when we hear you did a racist thing, racism is bad. I'm a good person, not a bad person. Therefore, I, I didn't do a racist thing. Mm-hmm. Red is where we shut down and we are immediately piloting ourselves mm-hmm. back to green. We are, we're not going into yellow, right? This isn't a, a, a slow de-escalation. No, we are doing whatever we can to go from red automatically back to the safety of green. And you can't learn a damn thing if you're in the red because you are so focused on being comfortable again. What I want y'all to start to experience is try to get yourself into that yellow more. Get yourself into mm. that mild discomfort where you can be in a place of growth. Because mm. there's nothing wrong with being a little bit uncomfortable. And when you're in yellow, you're not that far from green, right? If you're yep. starting to feel a little overwhelmed by that slight discomfort, refill your cup. Grab some more snacks. Yep. You're not you when you're hungry, right? Have a <laughs> Snickers. Get yourself back to that green. It's okay. But... Don't be afraid to spend more and more time in the yellow. And here's the crazy thing. The more and more time that you're in the yellow, the more and more times where you'll be like, you know what? My cup is half full. That's not a big deal. Like, you'll start to realize that certain things don't bother you as much. And guess what? Mm -hmm. That means that your yellow has now been incorporated into your green. And now four Pringles left is your yellow. A third of your cup full is now your yellow. Mm. Eventually, yeah, you're going to get to a point where you can't grow too much more. And this metaphor starts to fall off the wagon <laughs> because you, eventually an empty cup is an empty cup. You're, not, you're yeah. not thrilled about it. But the point is that eventually things that used to be discomforting to you aren't going to be as discomforting. And maybe, right, it's still yellow for you. But it's, it's like a yellowish green. It's like a springtime color, yeah. right? It's not, it's not sun yellow, right? It's not obnoxious yellow dragon shield yellow, right? It's like lime. Mm. So that, like lime. That, that's what I have to say about how you can get yourself into a position where you can be willing to have your opinion changed. You have to be comfortable with that yellow. It's a mindset uh, thing. Yeah, and it's, it's hard. It's not something that you can do super easily. Like it did, I, I wasn't able to answer that with like you know a couple of quips and, and an end, right? Like that was yeah. that was like a good like five ten minutes of conversation, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's reflective of like the amount of work that kind of has to go in to be able to do that thing. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. Like all of this is ultimately about. It's not anyone's fault about any of these things except for the people that have done the bad things. You know, mm-hmm. if if it is a case that we liked content by people that turn out to be problematic. It is okay to distance yourself from it. It is okay to, you know, to take 
some time to reevaluate like what does it mean for you if there's a way you can replace it there's there's a lot that can be done um it's just the willingness to do it has to be there and like you said you have to put yourself into that sort of yellow zone in order to make that happen so yeah, yeah. this was super insightful yeah you think we should head to that uh q a portion you know what that is not a bad idea so Lit. for our first question is from joe cheney over on twitter what did y'all think of the arena economy stream i assume you heard about this I've heard about it. I didn't watch it. So uh, I've heard that uh, we're going to finally be able to purchase wild cards. Um, so some of you may know that uh, I did a video with the professor. Uh, oh, man, it's got to be like two years now. Jeez, how time flies. Uh, two, three years ago, I did a, a, a stream, a video with uh, the professor about like why magic fails as an eSport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the biggest complaints I had about Arena is that Arena sort of grinds you out before you can even play at a competitive level, right? You have to either spend a ton of money because you have to open a ton of packs Mm. or you have to spend a lot of money on gems to grind out drafts, Yeah, right? There's there's kind of no in in between or you have to buy a battle pass so that you have more access to packs, right? Like everything revolves around you spending a lot of money to have packs to to get cards and by proxy get wild cards. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of people who aren't used to the way that that type of stuff works with video games who have come to who have come for magic and not and have been just blown out by the grind yeah by the sheer overwhelming nature that is playing a digital card game and one of the biggest complaints i had um and it's one of the reasons why i really like legends of runeterra is that if i find out that there's a sweet trundle anivia deck Mm-hmm. I don't have to play a ton of games to have the Trundle and Nivea deck. I buy, you know, the the in-game currency, yep. and then I buy every single card I want for that deck. And yes, we can have a, a conversation about how it's problematic that we don't know, we don't have, like, a good financial one-to-one of, like, how much money I spent per in-game currency and, like, how that mm-hmm. tracks with, like, buying the cards. Sure, that's also somewhat problematic, right? Yeah. We should just be able to buy the cards, especially when it's a digital product, right? Because we're not affecting a secondary market. I get that. I get that. But there is something to be said about being about whenever I get back into Legends of Terra that I can spend the like 60 bucks or whatever I want yeah. to play whatever deck I want to play. It's a little bit more than it's more than $60, but like you catch my drift, right? Yeah. If I want to play a deck, I don't have to grind to get cards. I don't I don't have to play a gotcha game. Yeah. Right. To hope that I get rare and mythic wild cards, I just buy them just, just flat out, and that was the thing that hit me really hard when Riot announced Legends of Runeterra. They did this two-person dev video where they were talking about you know their goals for Legends of Runeterra and what it was going to look like, yeah. and they threw some massive shade at other digital <laughs> card games where they're like, I remember this. We're yeah. never going to be the card game where you have to play hours on end just to have a chance to play the deck you want to play. Mm. You will be able to play the deck you want to play just because you want to buy the cards, just like you do when you play your paper trading card game. And I went, sold. <laughs> I, I literally yeah. looked at that and went, that's, that, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It could be a terrible card game, and it's not. I'll play it. Yeah. And so that has bothered me about Magic. So this whole 
buying was it like fifty dollars for $50 not even for sixteen cards? Yeah. What? Yeah. No. Awful. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Watsy has progressively, in all forms of digital, shown that they have a very large disconnect on what is a successful digital product. Um. So yeah, I think the yeah. arena con. I don't like. I like. I said I didn't watch the stream. Everything that I've heard about it and I've done light research about, it seems like Watsi is continuously going in an increasingly more and more incorrect, disconnected direction from what the community wanted from Arena, which is really sad because Arena launched and people were pretty happy with it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It was a good way to play Magic Online. Um, it looked way better. It looked a lot more like Duels of the Planeswalkers, which was something everybody, I think, I don't think there was anyone that, like, hated Duels of the Planeswalker. If anything, people wanted more from it, right? People mm-hmm. were like, man, wouldn't it be great if I could play Standard on this? And it was very similar for Arena when it first came out, right? Everyone was like, oh, man, we can play Standard on this, but, you know, oh, it's going to take a while for me to build up my collection. So there were, like, the free codes, right, for a pack and some yeah. booster packs. And the, you were, you got, you got a free sealed event from going to a pre-release that soon became three packs. Yeah. And it, it's like the people who are in charge of Arena are the people who, like, look at all the worst things about, like, mobile games and AAA titles. And they're yeah. like, what if we did that so we could get that cash, too? Yeah, they see how and far they can take and it and worse. just take it. Yeah. And the thing is, is that they're they're not listening to their community, but they really needed to, to have been listening to some of the complaints that have been happening. The mm. Battle Pass complaints the weird you we don't really know how gems work and i don't really know what i'm spending my money on right like there was a bunch of stuff that wizards should be listening to that they're just like nah we're gonna just make bank because you because like whales exist and predatory practices exploit people Mm -hmm. and like they're okay with that and that's a little disheartening to to see yeah Um, what are your thoughts basically uh, what i said Kind of, yeah. I mean, like, I I don't really mind the idea of, you know, paying money directly for wildcards, but the rate at which it is, is it's daylight robbery, uh, in my opinion. It's it's $50 for 16 cards. No, thank you. A quarter of a deck, maybe? No. Next question we have is from Muncie Light over on Twitter. What are your favorite cards from last year? There's so much. Um, like, I, I, I honestly do need help. Like, what were the... There was Caltime, Strixhaven, D&D, and the Innistrad sets. Alright, so, uh... Caldheim, there wasn't really anything that kind of spoke to me, mm. unfortunately, because I was, like, kind of excited about Caldheim. Um, but I don't want to say, like, it was bad. It just, like, wasn't what I was, like, looking forward to. Mm. Then we had Strixhaven. Uh, Strixhaven, I don't have a favorite card of a favorite cycle and that's mm-hmm. the uh technique cards oh yeah i love them they're from the commander deck slash set boosters slash collector boosters and they have a specific keyword for themselves which is demonstrate mm-hmm. and what demonstrate does is you pay uh is it says demonstrate when you cast the spell you may copy it if you do choose an opponent to also copy it So, for example, Creative Technique is four in a red for a sorcery that says, shuffle your library and then reveal reveal cards from the top of it until you reveal a non-land card. Exile that card and put the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. You may cast the exile card without paying its mana cost. I would pay five mana to just do that. Yeah. 
I get to do it twice, and the downside is that my opponent gets to do it. I'm doing it twice. <laughs> I'm probably doing something more unfair than you. Yeah. And they're all pretty phenomenal. Yeah, they're sweet. Um, in Everything. my opinion. Uh, so that's Strixhaven. And then what was it? D&D? D&D came out the same year, yeah. Yeah. Uh, D&D, again, it's the commander cycle. Uh, what are they called? It's the one that lets you roll two sets of dice. Oh, yes. The, um, They're the Endeavor Cycle. Yes. It's like are. Reckless Endeavor, Arcane De Endeavor. But they're all sorceries, and they all say, like, roll two of blank, and you do one. You get to pick which result does which thing. So this yep. isn't one of those things where it's like, oh, the higher result is blank, and the lower result is, is blank. No, it is you you choose your own adventure so my favorite is reckless endeavor which is roll two d12s because how often do you get to roll two d12s i think that's so much fun yeah. um and it is it deals 10 it deals x damage to each creature for one of the results and then you create treasure tokens equal to the other result mm -hmm. man you are almost always board wiping with this and then creating and then almost you have a good chance of potentially kind of replacing reckless endeavor in mana when you cast this. It's like a risky Blasphemous Act. I love it. Yeah. Uh, arcane Endeavors roll 2d8. You draw cards equal to that result. And then you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana less than or equal to the other result without paying its mana cost. Seems good. Black is roll 2d10s. Return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with a, with a number of plus one, plus one counters on it equal to that result. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, the other half of it is that each opponent loses X life and you gain X. Okay, Grave Endeavor, I see you. <laughs> uh, Valiant Endeavor is roll 2d6s and you destroy each creature with power uh, result equal to or greater. And then you create 2-2 two, two white Vigilant Knight tokens for the other result. And then the green one just roll two d4s. You get that many beasts, and you get to search your library for that many basic lands and put them into play tapped. Yeah. Like, what a great cycle! Uh, it's cool. what I really like is that some of my favorite cards have been literally commander like exclusive cards. One mm -hmm. because I play commander, but two because I just think the cycles are like super neat. Yeah. Like neat. the techniques I think are really cool. The endeavors are really cool. Uh, I think my favorite commander printed in the last year was Sephiris. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, a close second is Zephy. Uh So yeah, I, I cheated and answered a bunch of cards. Uh, and then Scott, <laughs> do you have any uh, spicy tech for? Oh yes, the other the other part of the question, uh, Muncie is asking me about uh, if I have any spicy tech for Lelia the Blade Reforged, uh, my mono red Lelia deck. Um, I've seen you talk about it. I, mm. I know it's a thing. Mm, yeah, this this has been a labor of love for sure. One card that I don't see people using all that much in it is Witch's Clinic. So Witch's Clinic is a land the taps are colorless, or you can pay two and tap it to give a commander lifelink until end of turn. Lelia gets huge very quickly, and because it's mono red, there aren't a whole lot of ways to gain life. So generally speaking, uh, like. Having a colorless land in a monocolor deck is easy, and being able to just give your commander lifelink until end of turn is pretty good, because, like I said, Lelia is often 10, 12, 20, 40 power. So yeah, she can she can really swing uh, your life total back in, in your favor with something like that, for sure. I didn't even know that card existed. Mm, there you go. Five years ago, there was like a better chance that if you would just set a card, I had I would 
have had passing knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. You could literally tell me that there is a card called Dump Truck Ass, and I'd be like, sure. You know, you know what? With universes beyond, nothing's possible, I guess. Yo, that's the Doja <laughs> Cat card. All right, what's the next question? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ev the Mage over on Twitter is asking, what do you think is the likelihood of more retro frames this year? And what cards do you think would get the treatment? Mm. Um, so likelihood, very high. Yeah, they were very popular. They're, they're very popular. They started, like, even, they even do it now as, like, the store reward cards for, like, events. I would be kind of shocked if, uh, you know, I'll put it this way. Uh, it's very early in the year, so I won't be shocked if we don't get them necessarily this year, both the sheer number of uh, casual product coming out this year. Mm. We have more Forgotten Realms product coming out, mm. right? We have the the Dominaria. We have the Brothers War set, the new Unset. Infinity. We have yeah. Infinity. We have Commander Legends 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> we have New Capenna. Probably won't be a New Capenna, but like like I said, we have, we have enough supplemental product as i like to call it even though i Mm. know dominaria is like a real product and whatever we have enough product that is not geared directly towards the standard pipeline yeah that i i wouldn't be surprised if we got even just promos right just like another like fable passage right where it's just yeah you go you support your store you get a fable passage now what would i like to see get this treatment i'd have to really think about that i mean any of the commanders that i play um, yeah. I think it'd be really sweet if the original Commander 5 got it. That'd be cool, yeah. But the thing for me is that a lot of cards that I did want to get the treatment, like, have gotten it. Moldrifter has yeah. one, Mystic Sanctuary has one, Panharmonicon has one. Like, a lot of some of my, like, favorite cards mm. already got it, and I wasn't even expecting them to. Yeah. My wish list has already kind of been filled, and so, like, anything else is kind of like, oh, sick, cool, mm. whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting for a storm kiln artist in retro border. Ugh. Mm. I was gonna say you is it filth, but you know my secret is it passion, <laughs> so I can't. I can't actually say that out loud. Yeah. Our first bonding experience. <laughs> is it storm players that don't play? Is it storm commanders? Yeah. That's it. I think I'd like to see a braid and like evolving wilds Ooh. and like just cards like that that you see all the time. Yeah, and that's why I said yeah. the original Commander 5. Yeah. Like, I think it would just be a cool callback. Yeah. Uh, we all know Commander players. We kind of like our foils. We kind of like our special. Like, I think that that would be super, super neat. Uh, if, mm. if you if you were to hold a gun to my head and just be like, Amanda, you have to pick a card. <laughs> probably Elvis Mystic. Mm. I'm slowly rebuilding my Elv- Legacy deck, but I'm building it foil, which is why it's taking me a while. Yeah. Uh, I would love if I could have an old board. And someone's gonna be like, Elvis Mystic probably already has one, and I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna <laughs> feel real dumb. Uh, but if I could have an old border Elvis Mystic in my deck mm-hmm. and foil, ooh, ooh, oh, it's already old border. Damn it, Time Power Master, you caught me. <laughs> well, um, at least you know you can just go get one now. F the Mage also asked me, uh, now that I have a switch, have I tried Legend of Arceus or Sword and Shield yet? And I haven't. Because I went and downloaded Hollow Knight and started playing through that again, and then Elden Ring came out. So soon, betrayed the Pokemans. <laughs> I actually haven't played a Pokemon game since Pokemon Y. I think it's been a long time. I really want to try Arceus though. I want to play Arceus too because it's Pokemon the RPG, and I'm like super yeah. down for that. Me too, big time. And finally, QZ Ozzy 
or Ozzy, Ozzy, possibly. I keep getting this wrong. Ozzy, I'm sorry. You've messaged in a couple of times now, and every time I've probably gotten it incorrect. But they are messaging in from Twitter, asking both of us, have you got any new decks that you're working on? Uh, I have a, I have a handful. So, like, right now, um, the, the Labor of Love project is my uh, Ryu deck. Mm-hmm. Um, as some of you who follow me on Twitter know, I kind of made a declarative statement where I was no longer going to build... Uh, commanders that weren't POC. Watsi mm-hmm. um, has done a relatively okay job of releasing decent legendary creatures that are BIPOC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will only be playing BIPOC or women commanders for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a black anime nerd. They gave me a fucking Afro Samurai as a commander. <laughs> there was no fucking way this deck wasn't getting built. It's uh, it's not done yet. It's at 80 cards, and it's already valued at $900, so we are Oof. in some trouble. So, uh, mm-hmm. remember, this is the, this is, this is not, not the conversation for this, for this podcast. <laughs> but it's also, like, I, it's also based on, like, additions that I've picked. So, like, I'm getting the foil Blackest Magic Soul Ring. Yeah. I, I have, uh, the Black Mother's Day Mother Runes, mm. right? I, like, I, I'm picking some versions of cards that are, that are not not cheap yeah um just because like this is i i've been really putting a lot of love into these bipoc commander decks Mm -hmm. because they're like i'm i'm in a i'm luckily knock on wood right now i've been in like a pretty good place where i haven't had to like sell decks Mm -hmm. uh to get by so i've kind of just been taking i've been taking more time building decks so that they can be ridiculously shiny and cool uh all shiny and chrome I have noticed there's been some when I when I have seen your decks they have been very pretty to be fair. I was working on it. It's done now. I built a uh, Samut Primal Surge. Oh, so it is uh 62 creatures, 36 lands, Samut and a Primal Surge. <laughs> Walk into a bar. Nice. What are you building? Uh I've got a couple on the go at the moment. Um I want a home for all of the wizards that I like playing with but don't have uh, currently a home for, so I'm building Kess wizards. I'm also trying to work on a budget uh, Crick deck, just to see if I can get something cool there. And then the other one that I'm working on, actually there's two more, uh, I'm building a Kalamax Spellslinger deck. And then the final one is I'm going to use Killian Ink Duelist as an Enchantress uh, commander possibly. I think people don't realize how good Aura Enchantress is. They're like, oh man, build up a field with a bunch of enchantment enchantments. And I'm like, my guys. I think that's a carryover from Limited, where like, oh, Auras aren't that good because you can get blown out. But it's Commander. Commander is very different though. (laughs) You also have some very cheeky counterspells in black-white. You do, that's a good point. You've got the Memory Lapse in white. Mm. You've got the white Force Spike, Manatite. And there's the black counter spell that you either lose five life or, ca- or get dash countered. hopes oh, this imp- yeah dash hopes yeah. And isn't imps trickery imps mischief counter- yeah imps mischief that's a counter spell too but yeah i i'll be down to see some killian action <laughs> yeah so that is the end of the q a mandy thank you very much for coming on uh it was a great chat it was really insightful and some good fun there towards the end as well. So not all- Make sure y'all take a bathroom break when you listen to this episode. Yeah. I just looked at the <laughs> Audacity file. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So before we sign off, Mandy, if you want to just throw some information out there about what you do, um, some links to uh, your social media and that kind of thing, and any final parting words? 
Uh, you can find me at Amanda, T as in taxi, N as in net, Stevens. That's me on Twitter. That's pretty much where I live now that I'm not really a content creator anymore. Uh, y'all should pay attention to my Twitter this week because I'll be announcing a really cool charity stream that I'm doing with the folks at EDH RecCast and some unannounced co-sponsors because we're going to be raising some money for Trans Lifeline, the thing that I do a lot. Awesome. As some of you may know, uh, Trans Day of Visibility is March 31st here in the States uh, and sort of kind of internationally. And Trans Lifeline is doing a week of streaming uh, fundraising called Trans Week of Visibility that starts on March 24th and ends on March 31st. Uh, I will give Scott a whole bunch of links in the doobly-doos mm-hmm. for how you can do your own charity stream uh, via Tiltify and how to support some of the charity streams that have already been announced. We've got some cool people streaming for us, like James Stephanie Sterling, the Asian Avenger, Mythic Mebo, and of course the folks at EDH RecCast, and even mm-hmm. Mr. Jim Davis. So uh, we've got some cool streamers doing some cool stuff and yeah. some giveaways. So definitely check all of that out. Otherwise, I'm just a boring unicorn who sometimes plays Commander <laughs> adequately. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. We still need to get a game together. Gotta go across the Atlantic. Sorry, you're an intargable <laughs> game object. <laughs> All right, then. I'll just go back and play some more Elden Ring. All right. <laughs> <laughs>thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Minnie Maya, Morgan Roberts, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, and Tim Newman. And at the Stonks tier, we have a nice planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz-Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nerblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.